On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Let's get in this morning. Uh, We are in week five of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We're reading a book together. Uh, I read this years ago and said, I got to get this into my life. Uh, We are exploring, as the title says, how emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. This series is offering us a pathway to transformation. How do, I, how do I change the, the stuff that's beneath the surface of my life? Today I want to share about enlarging our soul. I, I, I'm, I'm saying enlarge because our souls tend to start shrinking when we experience loss. We kind of pull back. When loss happens, change happens, we don't know how to deal with it, and so we kind of pull back. Uh, when we experience loss primarily, and I think this is the big one, is because we just don't know how to grieve. We say all kinds of things. Oh, it's okay. You, you, can, you can still have more babies. It's okay that this baby died. Skew me? Like, is that, is, that, is that the answer? Don't be sad. There's, there's more fish in the sea. Yikes, I had a divorce. This is not, and so we, we have these things that we say. The problem is there's only one real serious guarantee in life. Well, I'll make it two. Change and death. That's it. I, I guarantee there will be change today and you won't like it. And, the, the, and, and some of us go, well, I like change. Let me come into your life and create some change. <laughs> I like change as long as I'm in control of it. But it's filled, our, our life is filled with change and loss. And there's painful changes that come. The loss that comes to our accomplishments. Man, I did this and now somebody else has done it better. Man, I, I got this done and now it doesn't even exist anymore. They found a different way to do that. Our plans, our loved ones. Change comes into our life. And, and eventually, it, it again changes our life. But eventually we're all going to lose our life. It'll be total loss at one point. Are we ready for that? A critical, I think a critical discipleship issue, if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity, is learning how to process loss. How do I process loss? All families and cultures have their way of dealing with loss and grief. The thing is, I think we need to unlearn some of our ways and relearn the biblical ways. What what does God say? God wants to help us out with that, right? So you open up to the Psalms, and you got two-thirds of the Psalms are what are called laments. They're the expressions of sorrow or struggles with grief, and you just go after one after another. I'm like, I read the Psalms, and I'm like, yep, yep, I felt like that. That's what I felt like. And, and I find myself realigning my heart and mind by reading the Psalms. If you are interested, ushers have these this morning, the lament reader. How do, how do I process grief? What's, what's the biblical way of processing grief? What's the biblical way of processing change, disappointment, right? Like, I had expectations, right? Disappointment is the result of failed expectations. How do I process disappointment? When someone said, hey, I'll do this for you, and then they didn't do it. And I, I want to be angry. That's an easy one to turn to. I want to be sad, But the Bible says, hey, you know, you can bring that to me if you want. God says, bring that to me. I'll take that from you. 
In fact, Jesus said in his second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Why? Because those are the ones who are going to be comforted. And that's what we're all wanting. I talked about it last week. We all have a binky. We all have a blankie, right? We all want to be comforted. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Oh, no, no, no. We've got songs about it. Boys don't cry, right? Put on a happy face, right? When you laugh, you laugh with everybody. When you cry, you cry alone, right? We, we, have, these, we have these things like, oh, no, no. Mourning is not a good thing. So open up, your, uh, open up your app. If you have the app, open up your app. If you got your Bible, open up your Bible. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 26. If you, got, uh, you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible in your chair back. Matthew chapter 26. It's the first of the good news books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. That's a big old word. It just means the olive press. That's literally what that word Gethsemane means, the olive press. You'll, you'll dig into that in a minute as to why it's called the olive press, right? And, and why he is praying in this place, the garden. Jesus is praying, and starting in verse 36, I, I just want to read this narrative for us this morning. Jesus uh, went with his disciples to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, I need you to sit here, and I'm going to go over there to pray. And he takes Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he becomes anguished and distressed. Let's just stop there for a moment. Mark actually calls that deeply troubled. And if you flipped over into John, he gives us the reason why. John records that Jesus fully realized what was about to happen to him. That's the way John narrates this scene, at praying in the garden. Jesus realized what's about to happen. Matthew just simply says he's anguished and distressed. He tells them, my soul, here it comes, is crushed with grief to the point of death. I've been sad, I've been hurt, I've been crushed, but what he's saying is, this is enough, what I'm feeling right now is enough to kill me. I love this. Isaiah chapter 53. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to turn there. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. That's what's happening right here in the garden. We keep going. Verse 39. He went a little farther and bowed with his faith to the ground. And he starts praying. He's bowing with his face to the ground. Now, can I just stop for a moment? Our, our physical, bodily position speaks to our spiritual condition. Let me say it again. Our bodily position speaks to our spiritual condition. It is just my, my own personal uh, habit. When I first read about this word, prostrate. I went, it's just as low as you can get. And I find myself in that place. I go, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to stay low because every time I tend to get high up, I tend to get knocked down. So I'm just going to stay low, you know. But so I, I have this position for me. But there's other positions. Kneeling, that's a humbling position. Standing, bowing. At this point, Jesus puts his face to the ground. That's prostrate. 
I, I, I am, I'm in trouble and I need something right now. And all these positions reflect our need for God. Jesus told us in his first beatitude, blessed are those who recognize their need for God. This is Jesus, right? He said, if you recognize your need for God, then the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. I'm like, oh, I'm in, I'm in deep need today. In Luke, you don't have to turn there. In Luke, it's again in the same story. It says that Jesus was praying in such, here's the word Luke used, agony, this scene. Jesus prayed in such agony that he's sweating. I've never described my prayer life as a workout. Oh, God, help me today. Make sure you give me one of those and two of those and a supersize of that, and I'm out. Jesus is having a workout prayer moment. He is sweating, praying. <laughs> That's intense prayer. I read it and I go, wow. And what's the focus of his prayer? I'm convinced the focus of his prayer is loss. Jesus is thinking about the loss. He's praying about Judas's betrayal. He knows it's about to happen. Remember, he realizes what's about to happen. He tells Judas, go ahead, do what you've come to do. I knew what you were going to do. He's praying about Judas. He's praying about Peter's denial. He knows Peter's going to do it. Before the rooster crows, he told Peter this. He's praying about the abandonment that's impending of the other 10. There's his, there's his followers. These 12 disciples aren't going to pull through. I've spent all my time, all my resource, all of my, my teaching. I've taught them everything. I have walked on water, raised the dead, healed the sick, the lame, the blind. I've done all these things. Deaf people here, and all 12 of them will not pull off for me. You talk about, that's why he's sweating. Because, watch this, I'm going through this alone. It's the last thing we want. I, I don't want to be alone and I'm going to be alone. Then verse 39, continuing on, he says, Father, if it's possible, listen to what he says, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. I, I want this cup of suffering, this, this cup, he gives this picture, this cup, it's God's fury regarding sin. Jesus wanted out. And that's the terror that he's facing. Can, can I fulfill your plan in a different way? Is there another way to make this thing all happen? Other than me being abandoned, betrayed, alone. And at one point he says, Father, Father, where are you? I'm feeling completely alone. When Jesus doesn't get his miracle, by the way, that's when he teaches us how to enlarge our soul. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. He, he comes to a place, and it's right here in the garden, where surrender and submission become the thing. And I keep bringing up this surrender and submission. We don't like either of them. Let me give you, give, give you those words again, okay? Surrender. You like that word? Most people don't. Here's a word that we like even less, submission. 
We stay away from these things. And Jesus in this moment, this garden moment, right? Sweating. I think that's why it's called the press, the olive press. Jesus is being pressed. But he teaches us right here, surrender and submission. Here's the first one. You're taking notes. To enlarge our soul, we're going to need to listen to the interruptions. The interruptions, we are interrupted a lot. Jesus, it has been said that Jesus has the ministry of interruption, right? People are constantly, he's on his way somewhere, Jesus, Jesus. He's on his way somewhere, Jesus, Jesus. He's on his way somewhere, Jesus, Jesus. Constantly being interrupted. He's enjoying himself at the wedding. Jesus, we're out of wine. Constantly. Jesus is being interrupted. And loss is about disruption. Disruption to our plans. Our our tendency is to ignore those impositions. Ah, they're not here. These intrusions in our life, they come in the form of death, divorce, bankruptcies, breakups, sickness, disappointment. Abuse, dreams turned into nightmares, doors that were once opened are all of a sudden shut, opportunities that are lost, failed and unrestored relationships, children, parents, brothers, sisters. It's like I used to have, but I don't have anymore. Painful memories of the decisions that we have made, the people that we have hurt. Do I need to keep going? That's us. This is what happens to us. Our culture, and sadly, even our church culture, that's the sad part for me, doesn't like to face these things, let alone feel them. What do I do with that? Well, just just move on. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. I just got to move on. Don't look back. Look forward. We, We got all kinds of remedies for it, and none of them work. Take a look at us. All the self prescriptions that we deal with on a daily are because we're not dealing with these changes. We're not dealing with these these changes that come into our lives. We just, we have a tendency to not, again, not feel it, but we don't want to talk about it. We just stuff it, numb it, medicate it. Here's one, ready? Just keep busy. You just need to busy yourself. You just need to get busy with something. What a crock. These are cultural solutions to what God says, that's not what I have for you. I want you to walk through this stuff. That hurt is real. Well, you just got to keep busy. You just got to busy your mind with something else. No, you don't. It's not a mind problem. It's a heart problem. It's not a hands problem. It's a heart problem. Busy your hands with something. My hands aren't the problem. My heart is broken. And when our faith doesn't work like it did before, that's when shame sets in. Shame. Shame is when we take our identity from our failure. It isn't something that I did, you know, like I did something selfish. No, I am selfish. No, 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 that's shame. When we label ourselves with something of an action, if you're feeling shame, the last place we want to be is in church. Oh, I can't go to church this morning after what I did this week. I can't go to church today because my life is fill in the blank. I need to apologize on behalf 
of the church. Let me apologize to you because somewhere, someone communicated, you can't go to church if you're broken. The unwritten but so often communicated rule is good Christians don't get confused. Good Christians don't get discouraged. Good Christians are never depressed. Good Christians don't fall on their faces. Hey, Christian leaders don't fall on their faces. What, where did we get this from? That leaders are infallible. Please, in Jesus' name, do not do that to me. We go, check out what that leader did. Did you check out what the leader's made of? Same stuff we're all made of. What, what by his job description, their job description did, all of a sudden we go, well, they're not allowed to fail. <gasps> Man, let's not do that to each other. It's both unbiblical and inhuman. It's just not fair. I want to show you this. In the book of Hebrews. Oh, so good. Book of Hebrews, chapter 5. I've got the Bible bookshelf here for you. Hebrews chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there because you're going to want to read this. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 7. <sighs> While Jesus was here on earth, listen to me now, verses 7 and 8. Just real simple. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers, listen, and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. We're talking about the garden, the olive press. That's what this is talking about. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. What about the part of the prayer where the cup can pass? Is there another, is there plan B somewhere? What about that part of the prayer? Did God hear that part of the prayer? Watch this. Verse 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, here it comes. He learned obedience from the things that he suffered. It's like anybody, you've got a Sharpie, I would just want to black that out right there, you know. There, there. That's not in there anymore. Woohoo! He learned obedience from the things he suffered. Dang it. Jesus submitted to the will of God by conforming his human will to God's will. <sighs> Beloved, this is a safe place to grow. In Jesus' name, you have permission to feel here, to grieve biblically. There's coming a, a class coming up in September, Grief Recovery. Grief Recovery is coming in September, and I cannot tell you, I cannot encourage you enough, if you've not taken it, to sign up for it. If you have taken it, you're like, I should probably do that again on another piece, because you know what I'm talking about. But it's Grief Recovery. This is about, listen to me, it's, it's recovery. It's unfortunate that this wasn't grief pre-covery. Had we been taught well how to grieve, we wouldn't need recovery. So what I'm trying to do right now is pre-covery for what's going to happen tomorrow. 
But you've all got, I've got a bunch of stuff in the past before I was taught how to grieve biblically. Before I was taught how to do it, I didn't know how to do it. Nobody knew how to do it. I was 21 years old and my best friend was killed in a car accident and then my brother, 10 days later, in a hang gliding accident. My life was upside down and they said, we just gotta keep going. I'm like, I'm 20 years old, I don't know how to keep going. There was nothing like this back then. It was just like drink, drugs, sex, whatever, work, just keep busy. I didn't know how to deal with it. Grief recovery is coming. It's coming in September. You'll, part, of the, part of the cost, you get the book, you get all the materials, you get support in through this, this process. This has been going on for several years in our congregation. And I cannot tell you, the, the testimonies, the other side, great stories that have come from grief recovery are too numerous. I can't tell you, every time somebody comes out, we go, oh, I'm so glad I took that. Are we allowed to take it again? Yes, we're allowed to take it again. Jesus had a human will, beloved. I want you to hear it. He wanted out. And he was able to say, coming back here, Matthew 25, right? He was able to say, hey, in verse 39, hey, if, if you could take this away, take it away. And then he says this, Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. The more important thing is not what I want, but what you want. And he's seriously struggling. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is struggling in the olive press. Three times, three times he prays the same thing. Three times. First time in verse 39. Hey, I I want your will to be done, right? Take this cup from me. I want your will to be done. And then down in verse 42, then he he leaves them a second time and prays, this cup can't be taken from me unless I drink it. Then your will be done. And then in verse 44, he goes to pray a third time saying the same things. Three times he's going, listen, if there's a way out, I want out. Let's keep going. Here's number two. To enlarge our soul. To enlarge our soul, we're going to need to let go of the need to have all the answers. Oh my gosh. I've, I've learned a little phrase. I have a question. They ask, I have a question for you. I have a response. I don't know that I have an answer. How many times do people go, you have an answer? I don't have an answer. I have a response. Maybe I have an answer. I've got a question for you. <gasps> Always makes me nervous. We need to let go of our need to have all the answers. We don't need to understand the why and the how before we obey. Beloved, listen to me. And and that doesn't mean we don't want to know. I want to know why. But it's just a bad question. I've I've shared that with you before. If you can, please remove that that word from your vocabulary. Don't, Don't ask your kids, why did you do that? Don't ask your spouse, why did you do that? Don't ask coworkers, why would you do that? Why is it just a terrible question? And it requires a lot of thinking. How are we going to make this right? What do we do now? There's a lot of other better questions than why. Our culture sees life as a set of problems to be solved. So we invent medicines. We develop new technologies. But life is not a problem. Life, 
beloved, life is a mystery. <laughs> it doesn't have to be solved. We've got to let go of these cultural solutions. And when we let go of human answers and solutions, listen to me, we create a holy vacancy that God can fill. But I need this. And God says, all you need is me. But I need this. No, all you need is me. And the minute we let go of this, we allow God to fill that place that we think we need that thing. We go, oh, you are all I need. I learned during one of my own dark nights, just a dark time, I learned, and, and I quote it to myself all the time, God's address is at the end of your rope. When I finally give up all my solutions, all my climbing, all that I need to do, and, I, and I'm down to nothing, I'm holding on, and there's the little fringes right there, I'm coming out, ah! that's when God shows up. He goes, are you ready to let go yet? I'm, like, I'm still holding on. Our prayer life is indispensable for grieving well. We, we don't pray well. We, we, we don't pray well. I include myself in this. But prayer is about dependence. Prayer is about knowing our limits. I, I can't do this. Therefore, I need to pray. Help me to do this. You come in and help me do this. Come with me as I try to do this. Knowing my limits, right? If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? Peter didn't pray. Peter slept, and then he grabbed a sword and cut off an ear. May I ask, how many ears have been lost because we didn't pray? How many people can no longer hear us because we don't pray? It's just a question. How many times because I'm not prayed up, I just <laughs> Here's the last one for us. To enlarge our soul, we need to give attention to the presence of God in all that we do. We need to give attention to the presence of God. I keep coming back to this silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Those, I'll say this over and over and over again, and you'll get, you'll get like, is he saying that again? Those who don't give attention to solitude move toward isolation, and those are two radically different things. Those who don't give attention to solitude, I need to spend time alone, just in my own thoughts, in the quietness, silence with solitude. I just need to spend, if I don't do that, I will isolate myself and push people away, and that's where it gets really dangerous. That's what, you know what I'm usually doing when I'm isolating myself? Sharpening my sword. Oh, I'm going to cut off a couple of ears today. God is inviting us to detach from control so we can hear the voice of love speaking to us. The voice of love inviting us to persevere. The voice of love that spoke to Job, to David, to Abraham, to Joseph, to Moses, to Jeremiah, to Paul, to Peter, to James, 
and hear in Matthew 26 to Jesus. The voice of love speaks to Jesus. God will use our pain, beloved. God will use our pain. Open your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He'll use our pain to teach us, and then he'll use our pain as a gift to others. Huh. Huh. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus the Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. That's what you want. Don't pull out your credit card for comfort. Don't grab the Doritos for the comfort. Don't go shopping. Don't eat. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Listen, whatever you're, whatever you're trying to comfort with, don't do it. Listen, God is the source of all comfort. Verse 4, he comforts us in our troubles so that... Big point, you want to underline it, this is the time. Even if it's in the chairback Bibles, you can underline it right there, so that. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We're going to be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. It doesn't stop there. I'm going to keep going. Uh, You would like if I stopped, but I'm not going to. Because the more we suffer for Christ, the more God is going to shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we're weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. Because when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in the comfort God gives. We've got to choose a different way. And just, and, and don't, in fact, let me just say, don't take my word for it. Just ask yourself, is my way working? <laughs> is, is what I'm doing really working anyway? To quote the great pastor, Phil, how's that going for you, right? Right? Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? I'm just asking, how's that working for you? How does your prescription work for you? How much trouble has your prescription caused you? It brought you momentary comfort, but God is the source of all comfort. This week, we got some reading to do. We're going to be reading chapter 5, pages 117 to 137, trying to get to the depth of this iceberg. Chapter 5, 20 pages. We can do that, right? Here's some questions this morning for us. What's your takeaway? Hey, if you feel comfortable, you can just answer that question. That's cool. You don't have to go any deeper than that. Sometimes that can take up the entirety of, as we turn these rows into circles, that can take up the entirety of our time. But after reading Matthew 26, what can we learn from Jesus about dealing with grief and loss? 
we need to do some sweating. I think that's one of the things we can learn, right? What is one thing God might want you to unlearn about grief today? Let's turn around, find somebody, sit with them, turn these rows into circles. Let's have some conversations. We can do it.